I would say that um, our passage today is probably, for many of you, a familiar passage of Scripture, and is often the case with a familiar passage of Scripture. We already have certain paradigms in our head and certain understandings, and it's possible that we can come to a passage like this uh, and kind of settle down and say, yeah, I've heard this before, and uh, maybe not receive the benefit that God wants you to have. And I would just encourage you this morning um, that you would, you would seek to say, God, teach me. Teach me afresh, even if this is familiar to you. Even if you've taught this and you've studied this passage out, teach me afresh. Now let me, let me summarize this passage um, in one sentence. Here it is. For every Christian, every believer, being a faithful steward means entering the joy of the Master, and that is Jesus. That is what this passage ultimately is talking about. Every Christian has the possibility with the stewardship that they have been given to enter into joy with Jesus. Now, isn't that where you want to be? Isn't that how you want to live your life? In a place where you are living with Jesus with joy. Not only is it the place that you want to be, but ultimately as God's child, you do want to please Him with your life. And it's great to know that you are going beyond on the other side of faithfulness, where you are confident, where you are satisfied, where you're fellowshipping with joy. And friends, that is, that is what this is about. If you notice, even at the end of this passage, the result for those who have been faithful is that they will be blessed in abundance. As we've been studying through the Gospel of John, we've understood that, that He has come, yes, so that we might have life. And what kind of life? Well, eternal life, but that it, life is called an abundant life. And that doesn't mean, you know, that it's all happy, but it means it is full of things that God desires for us to experience and to enjoy or to do ultimately for His glory. Sometimes those things are not a fun reality. Anyone been sick over the past couple of weeks? Did you know that's all part of God's plan? Right? It, it, it was, and it is. And yet, through all that, there are ways that you can say, you know what, this really is a way that God is accomplishing His will. Now, you may not be able to connect the dots, but it certainly is part of his plan for your life. So stewardship is really about entering into joy. And I think one of the problems when we look at the subject of stewardship is that we can kind of, we can kind of look at it in a mechanical way. Let me explain myself. Last week, we took the time to talk about stewardship, and in particular, the stewardship of money. And the conclusion that we came to, that I presented to you from God's Word, is that God desires for, for us as New Testament believers to be faithful in our giving and to be faithful with our financial resources um, in such a way that we are reflecting the teaching of the Old Testament tithe and we're fleshing out our giving then based out of the prosperity that He has given us but there is this pattern of the tithe that kind of lays a foundation. So the reality is in this New Testament era, as we are part of the church, we are not saying that we are tithers in the sense of the Old Testament. We're saying we are grace givers. And there is this pattern of a tithe that at least is the beginning place. Now, last week though, there was a sense in which I was kind of leading you through and giving you some of the mechanical framework, and there was a purpose for that. It was necessary because I think it's a subject that many times we, we don't teach on, we don't sit under the kind of teaching that would help us in our understanding of our finances. But ultimately, as we come to our passage today, one of the things that we need to recognize is that stewardship is really a matter of the heart. Money... Stuff is simply the um, equipment that we have before us so that we can be faithful to God. But it's really an issue of the heart. It's really about 
our desire to please him, and the end a result of that desire to please him is this entering into joy with him or this abundance that he gives um, at the end of our parable today. So our motivation for stewardship isn't what we can get out of it. Our motivation for stewardship is how we can please the master and enter into joy. So as we come to this particular passage, we're coming to the passage or the, that has the parable of the talents. That's what, it's, it's, it's what it is. It's in a greater context called the Olivet Discourse. And in this particular discourse, Jesus is describing something. He's describing what it's going to be like when he comes or how we are to prepare for his coming. Look, if you would, please, at chapter 24 of Matthew and verse 3. Here is the question that the disciples, when they're talking to Jesus privately, that they ask, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And so Jesus begins to answer that question. And he gives a number of parables, but there's two parables that I simply want to highlight. In chapter 24 and verse 42, here is the parable of these, these servants. And in verse 42, it says, Be on the alert, for you do not know the day the Lord or your Lord is coming. Be on the alert. Be watchful, because you don't know when the Lord is coming. And then the, the parable of the ten virgins, and we're not going to get into what all those parables are about, but I want you at least to, to see as we come to this passage, verse 20, chapter 25 and verse 13, it says, Be on the alert, for you do not know the day nor the hour. And so the idea there with those two parables is that we are to be watchful, for his coming. And when we get into our present passage, it is an emphasis of being watchful, but even more than that, God is calling us to be working while we are watching. It's not just sitting around and just kind of twiddling our thumbs. The idea is that we are actually watching, but we're working while we are watching. Okay? Now, let's look at Verse 14 of our text, the first verse in our text. For it will be like a man coming or going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. The question is, what is the it being talked about? Well, it's all about what's called the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, actually, we should say. And it refers primarily to the rule and reign of Jesus in the hearts of men. So if you are a child of God right now, you are part of the kingdom of heaven. You're part of this, this organization called the church, which transcends earth as well as heaven. You get that? It's not, it's not spatially located simply to the earth. It's not simply in heaven. It is all part of God's greater family. And if you're a child of God, you're part of that kingdom. It, it identifies, though, in this particular passage the visible body of Christ, the church. And uh, one of the things we have to understand is that right after this parable, we have another parable about the wheat and the tares. And in that parable, it describes the church as being full of believers as well as the presence of unbelievers. There, is wheat, there are wheat fields, and in the midst of those wheat fields are what? Tares, these these false pseudo you know kind of plants that look like wheat but they actually kind of intermingle and twist and all that kind of stuff yes those were the tears up on our roof trying to cause trouble so we know from this passage that Jesus is trying to say something to us that is really really important so this is talking then about the kingdom of heaven, but it's also talking about a man. And in this par parable, this man refers to Jesus. That's how we're going to understand it. That would be the application to us. Then this journey is Jesus, the fact that he is gone, and he ultimately will return. Okay? So just, again, reading verse 14, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Now, 
ultimately, as I mentioned here, this is a hard-nosed message. The Olivet Discourse is a hard-nosed message. And think about it, even one of the disciples who took on this, this role of being a follower of Jesus, who was given a responsibility, who was part of decision-making, who actually had pretty good, high-ranking responsibility, he took care of the money, ended up revealing his real heart that he was not one who was truly a follower of Jesus. He was not a true believer. His name was Judas. And so it's a reminder to us that the visible church is not necessarily the true church. All right? Now, we don't know when the masters are going to return. And unlike in today's world, um, there wasn't, you know, email. Um, the master didn't leave with his Blackberry or his iPad, and you can Skype him and find out what's going to happen when he's going to return. No, there, those forms of communication weren't there. And in fact, the only form of communication may have been a letter, but in those days, he may have sent the letter, but ultimately may have arrived before the letter arrived, okay? That's not a good plan of action, by the way, okay? So the point here is, you don't know when he's coming back, but he's coming back. So be watchful for him coming back, but also be working while you are watching, okay? Now, as we go to Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, we want to hang our thoughts on four pegs. And these four pegs really are the structure. This is not the point of the message. They're simply what is taking place in this parable. And what we're going to do um, is going to tease out application as we hang our hats on these four pegs. These four pegs go to our main points if you want to fill them in, all right? First of all, there's the entrusting. Then there is the investing. What do these three servants do with this investment that they have been entrusted with? Then there is the accounting. That's when the man, the master, finally comes home. And then, ultimately, there is the rewarding. And this is the framework, and just trust that God will use this to help us to grow in our understanding and our application of what it means to be a faithful steward of God. But I think it's important that we just pause right now and we take a moment to pray uh, as we hopefully feel the weight of what is going on here. Lord, help us today to be wise, to be discerning, to be humble, to be teachable. Lord, that you would give us humility and strength as we, as we face, um, Lord, the passage that is before us. Lord, help us not to tune out. Help us not to be distracted. Help us, Lord, to give you our all. Um, and Lord, to, to fight uh, the fight against unbelief and embrace what you have for us this morning. We ask in your precious holy name. Amen. All right, let's jump in then at the, the entrusting. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Now there's some there's some clarification that we need here that's really, really important. On the back table, you will find a book written by John MacArthur, and it's entitled Slave. What we have here is an instruction by a master given to, and in your Bibles, if you have the English Standard Version, or maybe you have another translation, it may say servant. But that word actually means slave. And John MacArthur does a great job just historically talking about the fact that the word slave wasn't translated slave for a number of reasons, one of them being it wouldn't have been popular to translate it slave. Culturally speaking, servant is kind of a softer way to translate that word. But it really is not talking about a servant. It's talking about a slave. So we're talking about three people that are owned by the master who do not have personal rights because they are owned by a master. See, it changes the, 
the, the understanding of what it means to be a servant. Because as a servant, you kind of feel like, you know, I have my own rights and I'm, I'm willfully submitting myself to this master. No, these people were not willfully. They had no choice. They're slaves. Now, the other thing we need to be careful here, though, when we, when we look at the word slave, is oftentimes we have a Western idea that is somewhat young as to what slave is all about. In our minds, when we think of slave, typically we think of sugarcane fields, we think of uh, you know, cotton patches. We think of, of, of slaves kind of being domestic help in a white context and those slaves being the, the lowest on the totem pole, so to speak. Not having any personal rights or abilities. In fact, even treated as if they're like animals, right? That is our, that is our recent history. You say, well, recent, that was over 200 years ago, Pastor I said, listen, you know, go to Europe and you stand at a building that is over a thousand years ago. You realize our history here in America is pretty recent, okay? Now, the Eastern idea, or you, I might even put it this way, the ancient understanding of, of slave includes uh, a more prominent mindset. Slaves were often, um, were often professionals, doctors accountants, managers of some sort, um, even lawyers. What would happen is as, as they were taken captive by a particular nation, um, they weren't necessarily all taken to do menial tasks. They took advantage of their skills and used those skills in those various places where, you know, where the masters would own them. So often, a slave was given a position of prominence based on his his equipping tools, so to speak, and could be a steward of a household for a master. We have one example in particular in Joseph, right? He was a slave. He was sold into slavery, and yet by his faithfulness rose to a level in Potiphar's house where he was in charge of all the affairs of the household. Now, that's a pretty prominent position. And he probably told family members what they could and couldn't do because he's answering to a master. Okay? So it's a different mindset here. And what we have here then are, are probably three slaves that fit into that kind of category. And the reason we know that is because when Jesus left, what does he do? He says, I'm going to leave you some of my property. Okay? And I'm going to... Not only that, we're, it's fleshed out even more. It tells us exactly what he did. He left them five talents, two talents, and one talent. Okay? So, now the next thing we need to understand is what is a talent? Okay? It's translated a couple different ways depending on your, your, your translation. I think in the NIV, doesn't it say gold or bags of gold or something like that? I'm not exactly sure. Didn't check that one out. But a talent literally is a weight of gold or silver. Now, get this. One bag of silver, these numbers here are for a bag of silver, is about 6,000 denarii. One denarii was a typical wage for one day. Now just think about that. So for one year, a typical employee, employer or employee would get 365 denarii. Okay? Let's bring this up to modern day kind of equation equivalence here, all right? What we have here basically is a talent which equals about half a million dollars. All right, and just, just think about what's going on here. The master is saying, I'm leaving you five talents. How much would that be? Math whizzes, come on. Two and a half million. Now, you would like to be that slave, wouldn't you, right? So, oh, yeah, man, give me that, right? Well, the two talents would be what? One million. Then the one talent, half a million. You know, it's like, hey, you know, hard life. Except it wasn't for them. It was for them to invest. But you are left scratching your head a little bit. Go, go on in the parable a little bit. Go to... Um, um, Go to verse 21. Jesus says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over what? Little. 
Listen, if two and a half million is little, I don't know what big is, right? The point here is this wasn't just like, you know, here's $100, you know, go and invest it. We're talking about a huge chunk of money that the master is leaving these three slaves. Now, probably your attitude about investing or doing something with money would be much more, uh, much more serious if you had a million dollars versus a hundred dollars, right? So here you can understand maybe a little bit more the kind of burden, the kind of weight that was on the shoulders of these, uh, these servants, okay? So we are slaves, and he's entrusted to us Time, talents, gifts, abilities, and resources. So it's not just money. The talents really reflect beyond money for our purposes and by means of application. But we need to remember three things. The first thing we need to remember is this. What he has entrusted is his. So even though he gave five talents, two talents, and one talent, all of that was still the master's, right? And any resource that you have is his that has been entrusted to you. All right. Secondly, what he has entrusted is on loan. He's entrusted, that means it's not yours. It's on loan, and he's going to want it back. That's the idea. What he's entrusted is according to our ability. It's according to our ability. And, and I think it's, it's helpful to, to see that even in this parable, there's a recognition by the master of a varied giftedness. He gives these talents according to the ability of those slaves. And the application then for us is this. There are some people who are extremely gifted. They're they're given many opportunities, many responsibilities by God to be used in the building of his kingdom. Then there are some who are, um, you know, somewhat gifted. And they're given gifts according to their ability. And then there are some who, uh, who are, you know, have a small giftedness. They have fewer opportunities. But listen, the issue isn't the giftedness. The issue isn't how much you have been entrusted. But get this, it's what you do with what you have been entrusted with. Now see, if we start kind of measuring ourselves and say, well, you know, all the, the five-talent people stand over here in this group, and all the two-talent people stand here, but you know, the one-talent people over here. That's not the point. The point isn't to compare. The point isn't to say which one was better. The point is God distributes his, his entrusting and his giftedness and, and those things that he wants to entrust you according to your ability. And friends, there is a wonderful principle there that God gives you and God entrusts to you what you can handle. He divinely is omniscient and knows what it is that you struggle with, what you can handle, what you can't handle, what your gifts are, what they are not. And he gives you what he knows you can use and what he knows you can grow, what he knows you can invest. Okay? So, so God is, is not just kind of throwing this out you know, haphazardly. There is a specific, purposeful entrusting to these particular slaves. Now, I would say it this way. The key to our stewardship is rooted in the character of God. In other words, if you're saying, God, why am I going through this? What is God saying? Well, you're going through this because I want you to go through this. And by the way, because I'm God, I know that you are able to endure this. I know that you're able to handle this because, hey, I'm God. I see those things. I know those things. I know what your abilities are. So the key to our stewardship then is the character of God. God is wise, is he not? God is definitely purposeful. Like I said, he just, it's not haphazard. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's accomplishing, and he has chosen to use you to accomplish his purposes and to entrust you with those resources to get those things done. So the same God who created you and sustains you also asks that you be faithful with the stewardship of the resources he has entrusted to you. So 
That's the entrusting. Now let's move on to the investing. The investing. He who had received five talents went out and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents, but he who had received one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now it says here, and he went on his journey. Jesus went on his journey. The master went on his journey. And of course, this is a picture of Jesus leaving, and ultimately uh, we are left to await his second coming. The servants are awaiting the return of the master. That's the, the context, that's the application here. But listen, how long do you have to wait? How many of you like to wait? Well, I'll wait and find out. We'll just be here all day, at least till 1230, right? We'll wait. None of us like to wait. Sometimes we have to wait. But you know, when it comes to God's return, when Jesus is going to come again, it's been 2,000 years. And you, you can hear the naysayers out there saying, yeah, see, he said he's coming back soon, right? Well, yeah, based on whose timetable? Yeah, where is he? Why isn't he here yet? All right, so you can just imagine here, these, these slaves are probably saying, you know what, he's coming back, I just don't know when. But he wants us, while we are waiting, to be watchful and working. Now, we read this passage here, and I want you to notice um, what happens with the, at least the, the first two. It says, he who had received the five talents went at once. They went immediately. Oh, not yet. They went immediately and, and started to invest their resources. Then we're told that they traded their, their resources and um, ultimately multiplied those resources. But there's this trading going on. Now, what's the idea here? This is a business word. The idea of trading is a business word. In other words, they, they went out and they, they put their money to work. Now, I want you to get out of your mind the stock exchange. I want you to get out of your mind, you know, investing in, 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 you know, in any kind of stock or portfolio like that because that really is passive investment, right? I mean, when you invest, let's say you have $100,000, I'm going to invest it in the stock market. Okay, I put it in the stock market and you just kind of go away. And what do all, what do all those guys that are handling your money say? The best thing to do is to not think about it and just let it grow. A little secret. Um, it's not growing. <laughs> right? But that's the advice you get. It's passive. Right? It's more of a, a modern phenomenon. What, what's being talked about here is active, purposeful generation of income based on investment in a business, in a company, or some sole proprietorship, or something like that, where you're, you're, you're investing and producing more resources with the money that you have. And what it, what it then ultimately implies is that this person is, is sweating, is taking time and effort and risk to accomplish this growth in investment. Now, think about this again. What would the yield of the person who has five talents be in dollar figures? Well, ultimately, it would be two and a half to begin with, right? It was 100% return, so now he has five million. All right? The person who has two, two and a half million. Is that right? No, it was, it was, it was, well, it was a lot of money, right? <laughs> you got me all flubbergasted up here, right? You can, you can tell what classes I audited in, in kindergarten. So, um, but remember, it's not how much you have, but how you use what you do have. See, don't, don't be distracted on on the, how many of the talents, the point is, what are you doing with it? Now, just 
just stop for a moment and just kind of in your mind catalog all the different resources, all the different things, all the different gifts, all the different opportunities, all the different relationships that you have. They're all part of this big ball of this kind of thing we call areas of your stewardship. (laughs) See, stewardship is not just about money. It's about life. And all of these fall under this category. What are you doing with all those opportunities that you've been given? To put it another way, it isn't simply about money. It's all about the assets that God has given us. And I want to put it this way. God is calling us then to wait as slaves commissioned to improve our master's assets. I know it's hard to read. God is calling us to wait as slaves commissioned to improve our master's assets. So he gave these slaves these talents, these abilities, these resources. And he expects then that when he returns that that those slaves will have improved on what they have been given. Right? That's the goal. That's the plan. Because it's all his. Now, um, The third slave, he had a different approach. Verse 18, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, this slave, um, let's not be too hard on him to begin with. Because what he actually did was quite a normal practice in that particular culture. Um, It would be the equivalent of sticking your money in your mattress, okay? Or finding, you know, a book and hollowing it out and sticking it in your library. The idea was if I put it somewhere and I hide it somewhere in their context, in the ground, dig it, bury it, cover it, then it's going to be safe. No one can take it. And in cultures where there was a lot of, you know, activity back and forth, you might want to say, you know, invasions and that kind of stuff, it was a normal practice for people to hide their valuables. All right? So the, the, the idea of doing that um, is really part of maybe the greater culture of that day. Um, and quite often many people um, would do similar things today. In fact, if you had hid your investments in your mattress over the past, you know, few years, you might actually be really happy right now, right? Um, Which kind of, you know, distorts the application of this whole passage, but not really, because it's different. This This is all about, you know, work. It's not about financial investment necessarily, okay? It, this literally was the Palestinian safe deposit box. That's the idea here, okay? Um, but listen, God desires to use what he has entrusted. So how does it help God accomplish his purposes if what he has entrusted to you is buried in the ground? It's not being used at all. Oh, you have it. And when he returns, you can say, well, here it is. He didn't ask you just to keep it safe. What he wants you to do is he wants you to increase it. He wants you to grow it. And he accomplishes his will and work through our stewardship. Now let's think about the accounting. Because the idea here with the investing is you're either going to increase it or you're going to bury it. Again, think about all the things that God has given you. Are you increasing them or are you burying them? The accounting now. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. You might say, after a long time, all right, the master finally came home settled accounts. Now, let's think through this a little bit. They knew that he would be returning someday, right? But it seems like a long time. Was he even going to return? That might change your attitude. Would you be tempted to change your attitude if it's like, well, is the master even going to come back? Yeah? Is that, oh, this money could be mine. I wouldn't have to give it back to him. Now, it's not there in the parable, but I know in, in our hearts, I think in our sinful inclinations, those would be battles that we would wrestle with. Now, we don't know the exact day 
or hour when the Lord will come. We don't know um, uh, when he will come to settle accounts with us. But that's why we need to be watching and ultimately working. Now write down 2 Corinthians 5.10. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for uh, what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. In other words, there is going to be a time when we are going to be giving an account. Now, can you imagine the scene? The first two servants, they're gathering their investments on their you know, big ox carts full of money, you know, rolling it up to where the master's house is, and they're waiting to get inside and say, here's what we've done, right? Um, the third servant is up in the hills somewhere with a shovel trying to remember where he buried his money. Now, after so many years, you know, there's growth, you know, undergrowth, above ground growth, you know, and things change. And, you know, so he, he's trying to dig up that money. Ultimately, um, ultimately, it seems like he did. Now, look at verse 20 and 22. They're both basically identical. Here's servant one and two. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. Verse 22. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. Now, there's nothing smug in what's going on here. There's nothing in in what's being said here that just seems to be smug at all. That they are only doing what they were supposed to do. And here's the response to both of these servants. Verse 21 and 23, basically identical, so I'm just going to read verse 21. His master said to him, or you could say them, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, our task, if you remember while we wait, is to improve the master's assets. Our task while we are waiting for the Lord to return is to take what he has entrusted to us and to invest it so that it's, produ it's producing a yield, that it's growing, that it's developing, so that when we give account to him, he'll say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, that well done, good and faithful servant is a good thing to hear from our master, right? But I think even more important than that is what he says at the end there, what, it's like what I began with, enter in the joy of your master. Because that's where we want to be. Not in the sense of, you know, it's, it's, it's something that, that I get to because I'm elite. No, you want to be in a right relationship with God. And you want to have done what he asked you to do. We've been bought with a price. We were slaves to sin, now we are slaves to righteousness. And so our natural passion should be not to lay up treasures on this earth, but to lay up treasures in heaven. And so as slaves to righteousness, we recognize, unlike those that do not have the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, we recognize our responsibility before him, and we want to invest all that he's given us for his glory. We take it seriously. And listen, our conversion makes a huge difference in our conduct, in our behavior, in how we do certain things. So listen, stewardship is not just about money. The analogy here is talents, but the application is broader than that. It's all that God has given us, all the resources, all the gifts, all the opportunities, all the responsibilities. Now, how did these two guys get to where they are? How did they get to the place where they're standing before their master and he's saying, well done? Well, there's a few things. There's a few things I want you to see here, okay? They listened. When your master is speaking to you, it's probably a good thing to listen. Would you agree with that? Okay. They took responsibility. So in other words, when he said something and he gave a command or he gave instructions, they took ownership of the responsibility that was given to them. They took action. This is at once, right away. 
right away, as soon as, as, soon as they were given this responsibility, boom, psh, they were heading out trying to do something with what they had, right? They were diligent. Now, the idea there is that it was hard work. They weren't allowing obstacles to get in the way and say, oh, this is too hard. You know, they were diligent. They pursued. They took risks. They took risks. Now, in that analogy, and I just kind of shifted into your context. When, when Jesus says to you, I'm entrusting you with this gift, whatever that gift might be, or whatever that opportunity might be, or whatever that responsibility is, parenting, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's counseling, maybe it's uh, you know, serving in some capacity, maybe it's using a gift in worship, or maybe it's you know, being a part of a small group where you're taking on responsibilities for fellowship or whatever it might be. God's saying, this is what I want you to do. Are you listening? It's possible you've developed the habit of saying, you know what, I've done my time, Lord. You know, I've put in my hours. Or you might be saying, you know what, no, there's no way I can do that. I'm not, there's other people that are far better than me. And the, the master is saying, here it is. <laughs> here's, what I, here's what I'm giving you. Here's your responsibility. You've got children, Right? You automatically have a responsibility. You have a spouse. You automatically have a responsibility. You can't just walk away and say, you know what, I'm glad for that responsibility, but you know, I just don't want to invest it. I don't want to grow it. No, you've been given that responsibility. And as a child of God, you need to take responsibility of that. And then take action with it. Do something with it, right? And to do, do it well and to work hard and even to take risks. Okay. Now, what were the results? The results for these two guys um, look like this. The satisfaction of pleasing their, pleasing their master. Is that a good result? Absolutely. Increased responsibility. Now, I don't know exactly what that is, but, you know, you've been faithful in, <laughs> in little... <laughs> I will set you over much. In other words, there's an increased capacity by virtue of your faithfulness that he now is entrusting you with. There's a shared joy with the master. You understand, this is, this is not kind of joy that is apart from Christ. This is joy with Christ because of your faithful stewardship. Okay? That's where we want to be. That's the goal. See, so stewardship is all about, really, ultimately, joy. Okay? Now the accounting, and here's where we'll kind of bring things together for this, this third slave. Verse 24, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I know you, or knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. Now this is really a very, very interesting uh, part of this text. He's coming in, he's probably sweaty, he's dirty, and I'm sure he has somewhat of a hard edge. A defensive edge. Master, what does he say? I knew you to be what? A hard man. Now friends, here is one of the reasons why many people do not take responsibility for the things that God has entrusted them is because they have a distorted view of God. You know, God, why would you make me do this? Why would you give me this? Why is this happening to me? You ever said that? Well, at least in your heart, right? You may not say it out loud with other people listening. But he has. And if he has, what does that mean? An all-wise God knows your capacity and says, you know what? This is part of my plan. You have the ability to endure this and to face this, not alone, with my strength, with my help. Okay. So he says, you know, you're a hard man. But it's a distorted view of God that bears fruit now in fear and in an actual non-response, or the response was to go and hide the money in the ground. He says, though, I was afraid. 
I was afraid that you were a hard man. Now, are there things that we know about God that are hard? Tell me some things. All right, his wrath, okay? What else? What you sow, you will reap. Pardon? All right, standard of perfection. He's holy. What else? He's just. Jealous. Are we ever told in Scripture that he disciplines? Oh, yeah, yeah, I heard that. I heard that, that moan go across here, right? Yeah. Now, you understand, everything that God does is rooted in his character. It's rooted in his attributes. Now, you know, we, we, we heard God's wrath. I want you to think about this. The only reason God even expresses wrath is because he is holy. His wrath is rooted in his other attributes. Now, it may be to you that some of these things seem hard about who God is, but let me just encourage you, study, study, study the attributes of God so that when you think about God and what he is putting on your plate, you're not saying, God, you're too hard. Because when you say that, you will be afraid to do his will, and just like this person here, you will choose something else. And might even justify yourself by saying, well, listen, I haven't at least lost anything here. At least when he comes back, I'll be able to give it back to him. Except time, investment, opportunity is gone because you've buried it. And part of the reason is because you have a distorted view of God. See how important it is for us to be pursuing a, a correct and accurate, a full-orbed understanding of who God is. Now, um, let's move on then to this, uh, this last part here, which is the rewarding. This is kind of really bringing the reward, ultimately, of the third slave. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Let me ask you a question. And this is our question for right now. How did this slave get to this place? I'm just going to go through the text and just tease out a few things that we found along the way. Number one uh, was fear, right? We're told a couple of times that he was afraid. He had a wrong view of God. Um, he did not take responsibility. Was he given responsibility? Yes. But he didn't take the responsibility. And that's more of a comparison to the other guys, right? Um, ultimately, we're told here um, in verse 26, the master calls him wicked and slothful, lazy, right? A lack of diligence and hard work. Uh, let's just re read through uh, along with me again verse 26 and 27. We'll just kind of interact with these couple of verses together, and also verse 28. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where... I scattered no seed. When you, then you ought to have in, invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. Now, let's just pause and let's think through what is going on here. First of all, there is somewhat of a, of a distorted view of God, but it's almost like an accusation of God. Now, just think about this. The, the, the master leaves. Is the master working for an investment? Is he the one out there who's sweating and toiling? Is he a part of actually, you know, making this money grow? Can you imagine being entrusted with something and you're like, you know, where's the master? I'm doing all this work to try and do this, but, you know, why isn't he doing it? You see how you can have a kind of an attitude if that, that was the context, all right? Now, I don't know if that's what's going on here, but there is an attitude here that this, this slave is saying, you knew that I reap, or the master is saying now, because the slave has already said it, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. In other words, 
I am getting the benefit ultimately of the labor and the work and the effort and the responsibility of the slaves. And by the way, I have the right to do that because it's my money. They're my talents. And I've asked you, because I own you, to invest them. But you've chosen not to do it. Now verse 27. You ought to have invested my money with the bankers. Now get this. How many of you have a savings account? How many of you just like rolling in the dough because you have a savings account? I take that as a no. But would you make more money in your bank simply by sticking your money in the bank than you would sticking your money in your mattress? Answer? If it's a savings account, yes, that 1% growth over time. You get the point? The point here is this. At least, slave number three, you could have put the money in the bank and walked away, and it would have gained some interest, just a little bit, but some. But you didn't even have the mind to do that. You were afraid even to do that. Instead, buried it. So he calls them wicked, calls them lazy. Listen, ultimately God punishes lazy stewardship. Now, his talent is taken away and is given to the one who has now ten talents. Well, that doesn't seem fair. Right, and that's usually how we think about these things. It's not the issue. That person was given a talent by a master who is omniscient, that's the analogy here for us, and who knows the ability. Here's a person who's invested all this money, these resources, these gifts, and they're, they're willing to do it for my glory. I'm going to give them more. I've already told them I'm going to do that. I'm going to take it from this person, give it to that person. But God rewards diligent stewardship, right? Now, I mean, just a, a, a simple, simple application here is this. Are you being lazy with the things that God has entrusted to you, or are you being diligent? We don't all have to respond at once. Um, but it's, it's, it's for us to consider. Now, that's, that's tough, isn't it? Because probably you're listening to this, and you're probably pushing things out of your mind, saying, yeah, I know I'm not. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah, I know. But what, what ultimately is going on in the greater context of this parable is that this particular slave is demonstrating by his unwillingness to invest this entrustment that he is not truly a child of God. Doesn't care about the master. Isn't concerned about his wishes. Next parable is the wheat and the tares. Brings that out flows it out. I want you to go, though, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's just read this little passage here, a number of verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, because I, I think what we understand is that there are, there are in the visible church faithful believers. And I think our church is full of faithful believers. But that's me looking and seeing what I see and trying to measure it based on how I can measure it. And yet, sometimes we will not know until those people stand before God. Then there are faithless unbelievers. Now, it's not up on the screen, but there's faithful believers. Then there's faithless unbelievers. And I think that's what we have here with this, this third slave. In 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15, though, we have here unfaithful believers. It's part of it. Beginning at verse 10. According to the grace of God, the gift of God, I might want to say the entrusting of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it, for no man can lay a foundation other than that, that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with good, oh, sorry, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. 
If any man's work which has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer a loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So there are faithful believers, and, and, and faithful believers, I'm just, listen, I'm not talking about perfection here, and I don't think, I don't think the point here is perfection. Because we have all failed in being faithful stewards, right? Would you agree with that? Let's all be one happy family right now. Okay, we've all failed in being faithful stewards. But that's still our pursuit. That's still our goal. That is still our direction. That's our orientation, right? If you have a weather vane, a spiritual weather vane over your house, that's where you want it to be pointing. The problem is, it is possible for some to be unfaithful unbelievers. Okay? Who are part of the church family, who have been given some benefit by God by virtue of being part of the church family. There's fellowship, there's there's the kind, I mean, there's ministry in the Word. There's all sorts of help and resources available because of that. And, and yet, they're not true believers. But ultimately, there are also unfaithful believers. Believers who are basically saying, God, I know you've given me something that I'm supposed to do something with, but guess what? In the end day, when it's all tried by fire, so to speak, it's going to show that there really wasn't much there. I don't lose my salvation. I'm still, still part of God's family. But I'm, I'm getting in and it's hot, all right? That's what's being talked about there. Now, let's just flesh this out as we close this out in the last five minutes or so here. Driving now to four areas of stewardship. I just want to categorize them this way. And I know we've been talking about money, but I want to kind of set that aside for right now. And I, I, I want to press home, first of all, the stewardship of your soul. Now, friends, hear this. There are some things you can take to heaven with you. Right, obviously, you can take your soul. And you can take that soul that has been growing and has been investing in the things of God. Now, I want to encourage you, maybe today, maybe for a while, you have been struggling with the whole concept of what does it mean to be saved. And I would just encourage you, take responsibility of the things that God has given you. An awareness of the gospel. An awareness that Jesus Christ died on a cross for a purpose. And that purpose ultimately was because you are a sinner destined for hell you were dead in your transgressions and sins, but because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, he may be at this point in time in the process of drawing you to himself and granting you eternal life. Now, friends, there's a stewardship that is going on there. You may be fighting against it. You may be feeling, you know, I'm unworthy. Um, you may be afraid of what that means because of other people that know you and know your life before that. But listen, God is at work. What are you doing with that? Are you taking it and you burying it in the ground saying, you know, I just don't want it anymore. I don't want to be bothered with it. Or are you willing to say, I'm going to investigate. I'm going to, I'm trying to, you know, pull some things out. I'm going to try and take some risk. I'm going to put some energy toward this because I want my soul to be stewarded in a way that would please God. Now, if you are a child of God, there is far more soul stewarding that needs to take place. Time in the Word of God. I mean, I, you know, beginning of the year, this is an opportunity. If you haven't made Bible reading important in your life, just take time to read it. Take time to study it. You know, as I mentioned earlier, our home groups are a core part of who we are. I just want to plead with you and encourage you Make a home group or a small group a part of your regular routine. Interacting with other brothers and sisters in Christ, talking about the things of God, is absolutely important for you in your own personal growth. So, stewardship of your soul. The second thing is stewardship of spiritual disciplines. Now, a little, a little distinction here. I'm not talking here so much about Bible reading. What I'm talking about is this. How are you doing with forgiving other people? You realize that's a responsibility that God has given you. 
How are you doing at fighting against your anger? How are you doing with those times when you're feeling anxious and you need to trust God? How are you stewarding the promises that God has given you so that you don't have to be anxious? See, how are you stewarding making wise decisions for His glory? This is all part of our stewardship. And God wants those things that maybe we don't often think about. He wants those things to be the areas that we're saying, this is my responsibility before you, God, to withhold my tongue so I don't say those things that maybe I'm thinking or to confront that person in a loving, gracious way because I want to restore that relationship with that brother or sister in Christ. These are, these are hard issues, but they're areas in our walk that are important to God, that are all part of our stewardship. Here's another one, our stuff. Um, maybe when you go home today, just go into your garage for a couple of minutes and look around. Then you can repent, <laughs> all right? We have so much stuff, don't we? You don't need those pair of shoes. Right? You, you don't need that car part that you changed five years ago. Right? Right? There's so much stuff that we accumulate because we, we, we feel like we have to have it. I just want to listen, it's all God's. And you may have stuff sitting in your garage that, you know what, someone else may be able to use. I don't mean junk, but someone else may be able to use. But it's stuff, and you just, you'd rather hoard it, you'd rather hold on to it because it's valuable or whatever, but you never use it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so, so just be, consider the stuff that you have. Now, yes, obviously giving, obviously, you know, using that stuff for, for God's glory. Whatever resource he's given you, it's all part of that stuff. But listen, we, we, can, we can forget about a lot of the stuff that we have because we, it seems like the norm. And maybe there's a, a time for us to purge and to take responsibility um, to maybe have less, but have less for the glory of God. The last one here is service. Um, listen, there are lots of things as a young church we're trying to do. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to develop a worship team. Um, we're trying to develop home groups, not because, oh, we want more home groups and we're going to be more popular if we have more home groups. The point there is investing in people, all right? Um, you may have a gift that can be used for the help and the growth of the body of Christ that you are afraid to use. Yeah, you're, you fear what people might think. You just don't know if you have the strength. You don't know if you have the ability to do it. Um, this coming week, I, along with about four or five other um, guys from our church, gatekeepers, are going to a conference at North Creek Church called Simeon Trust. And it's a, it's a small, hands-on conference that is for pastors or elders or leaders in the church that desire to grow in their understanding of how to prepare a sermon. And there's five guys right now that are terrified. But I tell you what, I'm glad they're taking the plunge. And sometimes we need to face our fears with the gifts that God has given us that we need to develop and grow so that those gifts can be brought out and used. And as we, as we continue to grow and develop in our church, I'm just asking you, don't allow that gift to sit dormant and buried when it can be used for the glory of God in the context of his church. Now, it may not be some kind of a formal program type thing. It might just simply be you have the gift of hospitality. I don't have to create a schedule for everyone to fill in in order to practice that, right? You just do it. What is it that God has given you as service? Let me rattle these things off, all right? They're, on Sunday morning, set up. Greeters, connectors, those are people that connect people to other people that they not, may not know each other. You know, arranging the food, part of the worship, part of the sound, children's ministry. Then there's home groups. 
You know, it's simply attending home groups, leadership in the home groups, developing in the home groups. We have a number of Bible studies that have started. We have a new one that's kicking off, young adult and college ministry one, all right? Just kicking off. Um, we have, you know, like, like I said, organic ministry. That's not like growing things in your backyard, okay? That's, that's, you know, living life with God's people, building relationships, sharing your life, hospitality. See, there, there are things that are outside of maybe our, our typical thinking that are all part of the stewardship that God's given us. How many of you have a home? How is it being used for the glory of God? Okay. And yet, so many examples we have of people getting together, fellowshipping together in their homes. Not necessarily formally. Informally, too. Take someone home for lunch today. You know, meet someone for coffee at Starbucks. I mean, these are all part of responsibilities we have to build relationships, to make Gateway Bible Church not just a place where people come on a Sunday morning, but a living, breathing family of people who care for one another, who are growing one another, who are investing in one another for his glory. Right? One person can't do all that. One person's not supposed to. And I'm not saying I am. So many of you are already doing that kind of stuff. We just need to do more and develop those things and grow those things for his glory. Lord, help us today. Help us to see the beauty of what it means to be a steward that is pursuing your glory, desiring to be faithful with the entrustments that you've given us in such a way, Lord, that we would be increasing the assets, Lord, that are truly yours. Lord, thank you for the gifts you've given us. Help us to identify them, to use them, to work hard with them so that they can be a part of the building of this church and ultimately your kingdom for your glory. Thank you, Lord, for the joy that we can have, Lord, as we are being faithful stewards. And Lord, even when we are falling short, Lord, I ask that you would give us tenacity and boldness to trust who you are, that you are a forgiving God, that you are restoring God, and that you can bring us back to a place of, of refreshment in you. Lord, help us not to be afraid of you in a wrong sense, but Lord, help us to come running to you as our loving Heavenly Father. We ask this in your precious name. Amen.